you know, when you're thinking about you and your wife, what's the drama triangle roles that are playing out, do you think? What role do you think she plays? Great, what role do you think you play? And then I'll ask you a question that's a bit of a, a twist, which is, what do you get out of playing that role? What are the, pri- you know, I often say, what are the prizes and punishments of any choice that you're making? What are the prizes? And there are tons of prizes, there always are, but they tend to be short term and they tend to be unconscious. Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone who is alcohol-free as fuck, and I spend every single waking moment of my life helping other people be the same, and more importantly, live a self-led life without the stuff fizzing around in your stomach. Yes, just another reminder, folks that you can quit alcohol and still be an absolute dick. So at Strive, we're here to help you fix the most important part, okay? And how you can be a more overall, grounded, present, beautiful, uh, compassionate, loving human being. That's what it's all about. Things are good over here in Cardiff. An interesting interesting moment the other day. I was in a restaurant in Cardiff celebrating Father's Day, actually. Uh, belated Father's Day to everybody out there. And a friend of mine, uh, Debbie, who's been on this podcast before, actually, she hasn't had a drink for over two years. And I was asking her, do you ever, ever have a craving? She said, I've never had a craving to drink alcohol, right? Which is really, really interesting because I've had the similar experience and we cover that in our Crush Your Alcohol Cravings Cheat Code free mini course, which is free for you if you go to um, strivemethod.com. And... She said, yeah, I've never, ever had uh, uh, any issues with it. But she said, I still like to drink non-alcoholic drinks. And she said, try this. And she gave me a non-alcoholic gin and tonic. And there was a period during the Atkins phase where I used to drink gin and tonics, actually. And so I had a taste. And I was like, okay, that's quite refreshing, right? I could, I can imagine going to a pub um, one, or any establishment and wanting a refreshing drink, and this would hit the mark. Then my wife ordered another non-alcoholic cocktail. This one tasted a little bit like Iron Brew. And again, it, it, was, a, it was a nice, refreshing cocktail. Uh, probably wouldn't order either of them if I looked at the, the label and saw there was a fucking ton of sugar in them all. Um, but, you know, it, it, was, uh, it was a decent taste, you know. And my friend Debbie said, what is your view on um, drinking non-alcoholic drinks? And this is what I said to her. You know, it's like, I don't drink it myself. And um, I think they need to be drunk with a, a warning. There's a, there's a couple of things that uh, that I just want you to think about, reflect upon. Uh, one is who are the companies creating the non-alcoholic drinks, uh, and what are they doing with that income? So I think moving forward, some of the alcohol giants who are creating so much havoc in the world will become some of the leading sellers of non-alcoholic beers and uh, wines and beverages and so forth, um, but they won't stop s- selling the stuff that's killing 3.3 million people a year. So there's that kind of thing that bothers my conscience. But the the biggest issue really is, for me, it's less about how much sugar I'm eating or how much coffee I'm drinking or how much cocaine I'm snorting or how much gambling I'm doing or how much so many cigarettes I'm smoking or how um, much alcohol I'm drinking. And it's more about how am I feeling when I'm doing it, right? Like, am I 
coming from above the line? Am I in a place of uh, self-energy? Am I conscious? Have I have absolute clarity here? Am I making a decision based from presence and groundedness um, and sensibility and open-mindedness? Like, you know, is that where I'm coming from right now? Why I want to drink alcohol, for example? Or am I coming from below the line? And am I mired in victim consciousness? Have I, am I feeling like a victim right now? Or am I villainizing or trying to hero somebody? Am I full of blame, judgment, scorn, uh, defensiveness? Um, am I triggered? Is my nervous system triggered? Am I in sympathetic nervous system? I'm not in a good way. Like, am I in this fight or flight, uh, freeze or appease situation? Do I know myself enough to tell that my firefighter part who is programmed to keep me safe by drinking alcohol is active right now and in control and just wants to keep me safe by drinking alcohol, but I'm really, really uh, below the line in my ego, in my past. And that is a key thing that we teach at Strive, right? Now, if you're drinking non-alcoholic drinks because you're below the line, so let's say I'll give you an example to demonstrate to make it easier. If you go to the pub with 15 other people and you haven't come out yet as being alcohol-free as fuck, or you're still yourself, a little bit unsure about where you are, that's why you haven't come out. But you haven't communicated to them your confusion or, or your lack of uh, a rudder of, of where you're going to go on this journey. Um, and the reason that you haven't communicated that with them is because you're really nervous and you're anxious and you're stressed uh, and you feel a little bit overwhelmed because uh, the approval of other people is of the utmost importance to your parts and your ego, okay? Then if you drink non-alcoholic drinks, for me, you're missing an opportunity to address a really important wound that, if healed, could provide you with so much freedom, right? So much freedom. And normally in people's lives, it's not just one thing uh, that leads to you drinking alcohol or having a reliance on alcohol. Um, it's alcoholism, the invisible, violent, and dominant belief system, that belief system that tells you that drinking alcohol is natural, nice, normal, necessary, and noble, that we've all been indoctrinated into from birth, right? There's that. But then there's like a myriad of other things that just really pound down on you, right? And one of those things that pound down on you could be this consistent worry about what other people think about you. Like the man worrying what the men think about you. The woman worrying what the girls are going to think about you, right? Like worrying about having a different social life and uh, people making fun of you and all this kind of stuff. Um, that means there's work to be done. Okay. That means there's work to be done. If you're like my friend Debbie and you do not feel triggered whatsoever to drink alcohol, you have absolutely no problem telling people that you're alcohol free as fuck. In fact, you're really proud of it. And um, you stand in that pride and you just tell your story to inspire other people. And you just want to drink non-alcoholic drinks because you like the taste of them and you're doing it from above the line in a really conscious, grounded place in self-energy, then I think that's okay, all right? So pick the bones out of that one as you will. Um, some shout-outs today. Uh, first, I want to shout-out to Ollie. Well done, Ollie, for achieving the 1,000-day sober milestone. Boom, 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 right? Really, really honoring you, Ollie. And Ollie counts the 1,000-day sober podcast amongst the many resources that helped him to become alcohol-free as fuck. And good news for us, He's coming on the podcast this week to talk and share about all the ups and downs of those 1,000 days. So that's going to be super epic. 
Um, and also shout out to Strive's Lazy Viking. Um, Lazy Viking recently uh, decided to, he, he was taking antabuse as a, as a precautionary measure as he decided to venture into the alcohol-free as fuck life. And he did a really good job of it. I think he went something like 100 days without drinking. Um, and then he decided he was going to try it without antabuse. So he took the alcohol-free as fuck quest in the Strive method. And the tough phase of that quest is to go 30 days without drinking alcohol. And he has surpassed that. He's on like 32 days at the moment without a snifter of alcohol in his gullet. So Lazy Viking, we love you, brother. Well done for getting into that and uh, trying this on your on your lonesome without the need of medication. Really appreciate you. And some value for you beautiful people out there. Um, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, putting some really good content out there. Email as well. Get to um, www.thestrivemethod.com, get on our email list, send out some fantastic inf information via email. And also, if you go to that uh, website, you'll find a link to the Crush Your Alcohol Cravings cheat code. Told you earlier on that um, talking to my friend Debbie, she had no cravings when she stopped drinking. When I stopped drinking, we had no cravings when, when I stopped drinking. How is that possible when alcohol is one of the fifth most difficult drugs uh, to overcome on the planet? Well, go to www.thestrivemethod.com and um, download the, oh, down, you don't download, you get access to our little mini course. It's a video, it is, a Crush Alcohol Cravings, Cravings Cheat Code. And as a sweetener for you, um, we're going to put everybody who um, signs up for that into a little lottery. And one of you will win a free Strive membership for a year worth $1,200. A poker player friend of mine from Las Vegas really wanted to help somebody out. And I said, hey, why don't you just give someone a year's a step up into this? And he's going to do that. So uh, July 15th is a draw. So get over to uh, the strivemethod.com website and sign up for the Crush Alcohol Cravings Cheat Code. Right. Over to today's guest, Michael Bungay Stanyak. Michael helps people know they're awesome and they're doing great. He's best known for The Coaching Habit, the best-selling coaching book of this century, and recognized as an absolute classic. His most recent book, How to Work with Almost Anyone, shows you how to build the best possible relationship with the key people at work. Michael was a Rhodes Scholar. He's Australian and lives in Toronto, Canada. And you can learn more about his work at www.mbs.works. I just actually received this morning a copy of his book. How to work with almost anyone. And look who's at the top, the top, praising him. Actionable, tactical strategies, and the wisdom is real. It sticks. Brenny Brown, right? That's good stuff, that is. I read The Coaching Habit, and it is absolutely amazing. So buy that as well, okay? So go to www.mbs.works, and you'll find more about him. I'll just check out the show notes of this podcast, and we'll give you all the links, okay? In today's podcast, me and Michael... We talk about the seven questions, seven really important questions that you can ask people to get out of this fix-it energy and to be more present and grounded for people and help them to feel seen, heard, and matter. Okay, those seven questions came out of the Coaching Habit book. We talk about the drama triangle, about victim consciousness and the roles of hero, villain, and victim. Really, really important if you're struggling for, with um, alcohol reliance to get into that, okay? We talk about the superpower of curiosity. Uh, we talk about self and consciousness versus ego and parts and unconsciousness. Really important uh, aspect of the work we do at Strive. Uh, and we also talk about this new book, How to Work with Almost Anyone, 
five questions for building the best possible relationship. He talks about two of those questions on his podcast, okay? So I'm going to step out the way and leave you in the capable hands of the incredible, the amazing, the super grounded and dope Michael Bungay-Stanya. Hey, Michael. Um, where are you coming from, uh, if you don't I'm mind I'm in Toronto. I'm like I'm itinerant. I'm an Australian. I spend a bunch of time back in Australia. I travel a bit, but home base really is Toronto, Canada. So here I am. Ah, oh, well, it's really it's really great to meet you. Um, I'll let you know how I uh, how I met you. It's quite funny uh, how I met you. How I first read the Coaching Habit. So for those of you listening, the reason I got Michael on is um, I read his book, The Coaching Habit: Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. <laughs> how that came about? I had a friend of mine, and uh, he was working in the real estate business, and I work in the high stakes poker industry alongside helping people in strive to you know um, live more consciously and he invited me along because i have access to a lot of money i guess and wanted me to meet this these real estate guys and i was there for two hours and i didn't stop talking and at the end of it one of the blokes who actually was was like, oh, my God, it was so amazing to meet you. I really enjoyed everything you said. You're such an amazing character and felt quite sincere. He said, you've got to read this book from one coach to another. It's the coaching habit. And I read it and I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm doing this all wrong. And I realized, actually, it wasn't like a light bulb moment more than um, a series of light bulbs that culminated in this one was like, Lee, you really do talk too much and you mm. have to listen. Um, so I did read your book and the seven questions, we'll get to them later on. They oh. they really do. I have them on my number. I'm coaching anyone. They're there. And I, I love use that. them a lot. Um, and I say to my strike community, you know, you don't, we are all leaders. We're all coaches. And these questions apply to everybody. So that's my story for you. How, how did it. you come to write this? How, do you have any comments on that uh, before you go on to tell well, me about this book? I've got a couple of comments. And the first is there is a, there's a place for talking. There's a place for giving advice. There's a place for telling stories. There's a place for being a teacher and a mentor like that. And, you know, even as you think back to that meeting, I'm sure there's a lot of value in what you said and the stories you told and the wisdom that you shared. So I don't want people to, to think that like, oh, I should never <laughs> say anything. I should only ever ask questions. That's actually quite annoying if you meet somebody who only asks questions. However, I would put it like this. Curiosity is a bit of a superpower. And it's not even being a coach, although the book is written to help people be more coach-like, you know, stay curious longer. It's helping people connect to other people, be curious about other people, be in service to other people. So you can do that if you're in a formal coaching relationship, which you might be, but you can do that if you're a parent or if you're a child or if you're a colleague or if you're a friend. There's a way that a recognition that your advice is almost never as good as you think it is. <laughs> and it gets better if you can slow it down. So if you get curious up front, you know, it, it's it would have been really interesting if you'd gone to that meeting and gone, uh, you know, I'm Lee, how you doing? Hey, how can I be most helpful for you? What, what's hard for you guys at the moment? What's the real challenge? What are you up against? What's difficult? What do you already know? And in, in a short time, you would have laid out a different landscape to negotiate and a greater clarity on how you can be helpful for somebody. And so part of what I'm trying to do is get people to just be a little less 
uh, quick draw on all the ideas, opinions, advice, solutions, suggestions that they have. Um, and secondly, curiosity allows you to stay present with a person. It also allows, it gives them status and authority and humanity. And for all of those reasons, asking a good question every now and then is a pretty good thing to do. Yeah. And, and I love that. And um, the reason this was so enlightening for me, I guess, is you're right. There, there is a place for telling stories and there is a place for talking and uh, the feedback that I've received of people. I've done like this blind feedback even though I know I talk a lot. And one of my superpowers that I get back from people is I, I'm a great listener, which I which I, I didn't I didn't realize because I talk so much. But what I what I did find in my talking is there is is this is this link between being conscious and unconscious. Like when I cannot be curious when I'm unconscious. When I'm unconscious what is happening is I am I feel the urge to grasp onto safety and safety comes in the form of talking. Because yes. it makes me feel comfortable. I love it. That's a very powerful insight. I haven't heard it expressed quite as clearly and as succinctly as that. But I, I did a TEDx talk some years ago called How to Tame Your Advice Monster. And I talk about these three advice monsters. There's uh, tell it, there's save it, and there's control it. And it just goes a little deeper into why is it so hard to actually stop giving advice? Because there's this moment of realization, first of all, oh, I should probably give less advice. So everybody's heard that here. Then there's this moment of realization is oh, it's quite hard to stop giving advice. <laughs> Even if I know I should give less advice, somehow I'm kind of pulled forward into the, oh, here I am telling somebody what to do again. And the insight behind that TEDx talk um, that people can find online is we're often giving advice because it maintains our safety and our status and our ego and our authority and our sense of giving value and our sense of not staring into the existential void of asking a question and allowing them to figure it out for themselves. So um, you're quite right. There is a uh, there is a way that sometimes we're talking nominally in service of that other person but actually in some ways to maintain our own sense of self yeah it was it was very definitely on reflection all about me mm. I, I remember my wife we just celebrated 10 years um ah, marriage and she's um her and my daughter probably been, um and my son like really my teachers in life you know and one of and, and it's painful <laughs> one of the things that <laughs> Liza used to say to me was, um, you're too much. Like, I can't be in your energy right now. And I always used to, my ego would take that as an affront, as an attack. And I would be really defensive. Well, you're trying to change me. But actually, when I was able to ask another really good question and say, what is this for? What is this happening for? You know, why is she yeah. giving me this feedback? It was, it then allowed me to realize that actually I am just splurging so much honor and, and that's not service because now she's having to take all that and she doesn't have the energy to take it all on. But because she's conscious, she's able to have that boundary up. Mm -hmm. Imagine when I'm dealing with somebody who doesn't have that boundary up, how wearing that can be, right, Michael? You know, one of the most powerful questions you can ask when you feel the urge to jump in or just to be too much is simply to ask, how can I help? Or a version of that is, what do you want from me? Because so often we think we know what that other person wants. And you might be right some of the time. But asking them what they want is powerful because it says, I'm trying, I, I want to be of service to you. I, I want to be conscious in how I support you. But 
give me some guidance around that rather than me making it up in some ways. So it, it's empowering for them. You're literally giving them the power to kind of say, this is what I would like to happen next. But it's also a self-management tool. So often these questions are a self-management tool just to slow us down. <laughs> it just slows you down. Like they may ask for exactly what you wanted to give them, but by them asking you for it, they're actually far more open to being able to receive what you're willing to give because the paradox of leaping in and offering help is it literally triggers a response from people to push back on help. It's homeostasis is the fancy word for it, which is systems resist change. <laughs> so when you come in and go, yeah, push, the system just goes, oh, I, I'm going to push back. I don't even know what's going on here, but I'm just resisting here. But when you go, hey, how can I help? And they're like, I would love to hear this. You're like, okay, let me tell you about this then. Suddenly you've kind of, you've found a way around the way that a system person resists the very help that they're, they're wanting. I, I work with a lot of people who on relationship issues, I mean, a, a lot of them come to me with alcohol issues, but we end up dealing with relationship issues. And I just want to share this very quick story that accentuates Michael's point. It's really quite powerful. Is I remember at the, the height of my collapse of my first marriage, the problem on the table at the time, or we perceived the problem on the table, was that I was spending too much time in work. And I remember screaming at her, saying, um, I can't fucking believe you keep going on about this. I am doing this for you. I am doing this for your, this family. And she turned around and said to me, this family does not need you at work. This family needs you at home. I don't give a fuck about the money. And that is a powerful a accentuating your, your point there. Yeah. is just take a breather and say, okay, what do you want? <laughs> and it might just yeah. be, I want to cuddle or I want you at home today. Yeah. I don't want you working overtime, you know? Yeah. Or sometimes they're like, I just want, I just want to, I just want to vent. I and need you just to, to listen. I, I don't need you to fix anything. I just need mm. to kind of get this off my chest and just have a bit of a whinge and a moan. And you're like, great. I can just, I can do that. Um, I'll just sit and listen. And actually, you know, uh, one of the, there are three principles around being more coach-like in the book, which is be often, I can't remember the order I do them in, but it's about, be lazy, be curious, be often. So being curious, we're kind of talking about already, which is how do you shift to ask more questions and slow down, tame the advice monster. Being often, which is in some ways the most radical of the principles, which is you can be more coach-like. In other words, you can stay curious a little bit longer in almost every interaction. So every interaction, it's really helpful just to go, let me, let's, let me be, uh, let me ask you a question before I leap into telling you what to do. No, it, having that as your, your default response is a really powerful, but being lazy is this liberating and paradoxical thing where you're like, oh, wait, being lazy, that doesn't actually sound that good, but it can be great because it, it's like, I'm not solving your problems for you. I'm managing my side of the table. I'm allowing you to manage your side of the table, which is actually what it means to treat you as an adult. <laughs> it actually gives you responsibility for your own freedom. And all of that is powerful stuff. Yeah, it was, um, I can't remember who created it, but it was my understanding around the drama triangle. Mm, Cartman, Stephen Cartman. Car yeah, yeah. This. yeah, yeah. And, and victim consciousness that made me realize uh, through your book as well that when I am, in fix it mode, which yeah. comes quite naturally to me. I'm I'm in the role of hero yeah. in victim consciousness. And I'm actually casting usually my wife or my kids in the role of villain. 
Uh, right. Sorry, victim. I'm saying That's you're right. a victim. I need to fix you. And then when I step away from that and I'm able to get above the line into like my conscious self um, yeah. and able to ask questions on how I can support or to yeah. give them full sovereignty. Right. Yeah. To make them feel no, seen, I, heard about it. I use slightly different language for the drama triangle. So I use victim, persecutor, rescuer. Mm. So rescuer in the in the role of hero. Yeah. Um, and when you teach it and you go, let me tell you what the three roles are. Victim, oh, you know, I'm not okay, but you're okay. So kind of whiny, complainy, resigned, powerless. Persecutor, finger waggling, finger pointing. I'm okay, but you're useless. And rescuer, which is... I can't remember what the okay, okay thing is, but it's like, I, I'm going to jump in and fix it and solve it. Or hero. Everybody self-identifies with the rescuer or the hero role. In part because it sounds better than persecutor and victim, but it's just as broken as the the other two roles. They're all equally dysfunctional. And what you said is such a powerful insight that rescuers create victims. So when you look at that person who frustrates you because they've become passive and they've become resigned and they've become complainy, it's really powerful to say is how is my behavior supporting and enhancing their behavior? Because often you're in a dance together. Yeah, definitely. I always say to myself um, or when I'm coaching people, when they when I'm coaching someone and, and I help them to realize that they're in the drama triangle and they actually are in the role of hero or, or villain and mm. they are uh, directly or indirectly creating a victim of someone they love, it's just like yeah. how how does that feel for you when you feel right. like you're the victim? Yeah, I go when I teach it. Um, you know, I'll often go so I'll I'll, I'll show them the drama triangle and then I'll go so you know when you're thinking about you and your wife. What's the drama triangle roles that are playing out, do you think? What role do you think she plays? Great. What role do you think you play? And then I'll ask a, a question that's a bit of a, a twist, which is what do you get out of playing that role? What are the pri You know, I often say, what are the prizes and punishments of any choice that you're making? What are the prizes? And there are tons of prizes. There always are, but they tend to be short term and they tend to be unconscious you know the big theme of the work that you do which is like when you're in the drama triangle you're in reactive unconscious mode you're not choosing how to show up and then you go and what what's the price you're paying for being in this role then they kind of they feel the full weight of it not only the diminishment of their own self but the impact they're having on the other people in terms of they're influencing the roles that those people are showing up as well I love that you made reference to what's the price you're paying because <clears throat> I know in, in my coaching, I I lean more onto what's the value you're getting, mm. which is which is a really difficult question for people to answer when they're stuck in ego, actually, because it's like, well, I don't get any value out of hurting my wife. It's like, no, you probably do get a lot out of it. You get a lot out of it. <laughs> but I, I don't I don't rest on I'm gonna use that one more, actually. That's a powerful reminder that there's two sides of that coin. But I, I always go, you know, in a moment, you have a choice. You have two choices to do it or not to do it. And each of those choices has prizes and punishments. Not doing it, the broad prize is maintaining the status quo, but the price is maintaining the status quo. <laughs> and there's kind of advantages and disadvantages to, to that. When, if you choose to do it, you're choosing change in some form. And the punishment is disruption. And people around you going, what the hell are you doing? And that's not what I expect of you. And you kind of disrupting your own level of comfort. But the prize is whatever you're striving for through that new change of behavior. 
I want to focus on curiosity a little bit because I found myself getting into something that I've called the curiosity paradox. Mm-hmm. And I think you can uh, you can help me with it because I'm still I'm still nowhere near a, a master at it. So the reason that curiosity became really important to our work at Stripe is we part of our framework of the Strive method that helps people to become more conscious and live a self-led life without alcohol is Internal Family Systems by Dr. Richard Schwartz. And Schwartz says, if you are below the line in victim consciousness or in part or ego, and you want to shift into self, then you can do so through what he calls the eight C's of self or the five P's of self. And one of those C's is curiosity. So I'm just teaching myself. I'm kind of like, okay, so I know that I can very quickly, unconsciously go into fix it energy, talk a lot, try to solve people's problems. How can mm-hmm. I use curiosity? And this is what I find. I love your opinion. When I'm really grounded and I'm in self and I use curiosity, I feel it works really, really well. And the person feels really seen, really heard, and they get really infused and they start going into it. And And I think they leave that conversation feeling like, yeah, I had a conversation yeah. and I'm a human being. When I try to use curiosity, when I'm in a state of conflict or debate, it I don't, I it's not coming out consciously. It's almost like I'm using curiosity as a way to prove myself right. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like I'm using it as a weapon. I'm not using it as as a service. Have you come across that in your work at all? Yeah. Fix sure, me I then, suppose. Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I invite you to use your fixing energy to fix well, me. I've got some I've got some thoughts on 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 something, but how would you fix yourself around this? I mean, as you hear yourself say that, if it was you coaching you, what guidance would you offer yourself? I actually had a, a um I actually stepped out of line today and went into the victim triangle and made myself a villain and made my wife a victim. My advice in that situation would be to take a pause yeah. and to shut the fuck up. <laughs> I think, I think, Good advice. I think I have a habit of trying to use my intellect to bully people mm. when I'm, when I'm on. So I have a part that uses intellect to bully people because that part when it was younger was bullied by bigger, stronger people. Yep. And it uses curiosity as a bullying tactic. So mm. why do you think? So it's trying to prove them wrong by using curiosity, but it's not curiosity at all. It's it's yeah. not even curiosity. I don't know what the word is for it, but it's just um, it's yeah. it's a mallet that I'm beating them over the head with. Well, I'm gonna cut. Here's, here's what I how I'd build on that. First of all, it's really helpful just to start noticing. Sometimes I'm using curiosity for my own service. I'm asking questions for my own sake rather than for their sake. And it's one of the reasons why I, um, in the coaching habit book, say, say I rarely use the question that starts with why, because a why question can very quickly slip into, I'm asking why because I want to understand. Whereas when you ask a what question, you're often asking it to help them understand. You're, you're in service to them. What's the mm. real challenge here for you? What was hard about this for you? What do you want? What would you have to say no to? To if you're going to say yes to this. All of that is them figuring stuff out. Why did you do this is sometimes helpful for them, but so it's t- takes it takes nothing for the tone of that to suddenly make it an interrogation <laughs> and approve yourself. And what the hell were you thinking? Which is, you know, the way that they can come across. So noticing that. The second thing I would say is it is part of the human condition that you will repeatedly fall back into the drama triangle. Or if you don't know the drama triangle, just like dysfunction, like you, you, you screw up. 
it is an ongoing process. You never get over it. <laughs> you just get a little bit better at noticing more quickly when you're in the drama triangle and extracting yourself more quickly from the drama triangle and staying out of the drama triangle a little bit longer. You get a little bit better at that. But, you know, I've been playing the drama triangle consciously for 30 years and I'm still in it and out of it all the time. So there's one possible guidance is to go, so be kind to yourself around that. One of the reasons is to be forgiving and kind and open-hearted to yourself going, this is part of the deal. Unless you end up in the drama triangle with yourself. You're like, I'm now persecuting myself and now being a victim to myself. So now you've got the, because the drama triangle is not just between you and another person. It can be between you and a situation. Mm. Now you're putting the, your failed behavior into the, the villain role or the persecutor role. And you spend your time being victim and rescue or victim and hero around it. So you can get into this weird, <laughs> I screwed up on the drama triangle. That pushes me further into the drama triangle. So th that. And then the third element, which might be a way of self-management, sometimes it can be tactical, like, you know, ask questions that are what questions rather than why questions, because they are more, it's harder to make those questions a weapon. Why questions are easier to be made a weapon. But you talked about this, the difference in the states you were in when you were asking those questions. And I believe strongly that kind of the body leads the brain. <laughs> so stop trying to solve it intellectually, solve it physically. So if you're in that moment with your wife or whoever else, what's the physical state that is most open-hearted, open-minded, generous, present, seeing them, hearing them? You know, adjust your physicality to that. Mm. And your brain goes, oh, <laughs> we're in this mode. Oh, I get that. Oh, so I'll ask, I'll, I'll ask different questions. So sometimes it's a physical adjustment that can help you make a mental adjustment. Yeah, what I what I heard there was, um, and this is something that I I I am. There's so much in what you just said there, you know, because because I think I was talking to there's a group that I coach um, of young men, and I was talking to him this morning. Say, actually, Lee, no, can I interrupt yeah. for one, two? Sure. To the people who are listening, I just want them to not miss the meta lesson that was here, which mm. is when Lee said, "Fix me." I've got some ideas. And I'll share them with you. But before yeah. I share them with you, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. And what I'm doing there is I'm role modeling a classic coaching technique, which yeah. is how do you resist giving advice when the person says, give me advice? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm a big fan for saying, I will give you advice. I'm really happy to help. I want this to be a, a useful exchange. I'm just trying to slow down the rush to give advice. And what you saw, saw there is a learned technique Here's the script. That's a great question. I think I can help you. I've certainly got some ideas, but before I give you my thoughts, I'm just curious. What are your first thoughts on this? What have you already figured out? Yeah, I love that. Really, I, I interrupted. I'm so glad for that interruption because because your 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 strategy went right over my head. <laughs> so I was I wasn't about to. Uh, and that's that's that. also what happens, which is even when you got somebody like Lee who's really experienced in this. <laughs> They just, they miss the technique. Sometimes people yeah. get a bit uptight about coaching because they're like, it'll feel too forced or too fake. And everybody's so busy trying to figure out their own stuff <laughs> that that they're rarely going, I'm judging you and your, your coaching technique or whatever. They're just like, oh, right. Glad you asked. Here we go. So <laughs> um, 
I'm no. glad you said it went over your head because that's yeah. also helpful for people to hear. Yeah, very definitely. Yeah, there, there was so much in it. There, there was the the key, like I was saying with the, the lads this morning, they said, if I was to write a book, the most important chapter I would write is you're going to screw up all the time. You're going to get better at it progressively as you get older. You're going to get more grounded. The the the, yeah. the time before be, between being triggered and you responding is going to yeah. expand. But, you, but you're still going to be 80 snapping when you don't really want to snap. So you got to love yourself. That's really super important. Yeah. The, the other thing that I noticed um, when you were talking uh, was I I lead when I'm not regulated when I'm dysregulated. I will lead with, I have the sense sometimes to lead with what questions, but then I'll follow up with why. Mm -hmm. So like, so it's almost like I'm tricking myself into believing that I'm going to do the right thing here, but I'm not, I'm going to follow up with a why question, which then makes the person I'm dealing with feel attacked. Like it can do, not always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 much more likely that people will feel a bit defensive to a why question than a what question. Yeah. So this Um, morning I just jumped in the car, told, told my wife I needed to, uh, regulate went in a car had a conversation with myself come back apologized and now the energy in the household is much much better you know so okay that really helped me thank you very much nice. if you're tired of losing the battle to alcohol cravings day in and day out then you need to learn the alcohol paradigm hack this hack turned me from a two decade long drinker to someone with virtually zero desire to drink and the best part It took a matter of days, not months. And you can put this hack into action today. And if you want to learn the secret, head over to the description code below to watch my brand new 100% free course that crushed your alcohol cravings cheat code. And if you're quick and sign up before July 15th, we will stick you in a raffle to win a one-year Strive membership. And that's valued at $1,200. So it's $1,200 of value that could change your life just for registering and watching this free course, okay? So get over there, be seen, be heard, matter, strive on. We love you. See you later. And back home with the pod. And Lee, I just say, because I, I don't think you know this, I literally have a book coming out in a week's time. I do. How, how to work with almost anyone. Yeah, And so it's all about bringing curiosity in this kind of coach-like technique to going, how do you build stronger relationships between people? So mm. it's helpful to bring any of that stuff in. I'm happy to do that. Yes, as well. we will. I, before, before, um, before you go, I definitely want to do that. Uh, what I want to do before we get to that though, is these seven questions that have been really super powerful for me. Yeah. Um, would you be able to go through them and just explain to them sure. um, what they are to the audience? That'd be fantastic. Sure. So there's, there's a list of seven questions. Part of writing the book was what I'm trying to do is unweird coaching. So it doesn't feel like this kind of woo-woo mystical thing that only a certain class and age and gender of people can, can use in a slightly privileged life. I'm like, I'm trying to just make it a normal way of showing up and being curious about the other person. And so part of it is to try and make coaching or being more coach-like feel as simple as possible. And having written a bazillion drafts of this book, I finally came down to thinking, I reckon seven good questions gets you a long way uh, down the path. Now, before I share them, because there's kind of ones that you can use at the start and ones you can use at the end, and then there's combos of them. Lee, of, of the questions, which ones do you like in particular? Which ones do you find yourself using most often? 
the ones I find I use the most often is what's on your mind and what else. Yeah. Like that's yeah. like su- super powerful. Um, but the one that I <laughs> just think the one that I gives me a little bit of a I think it's just so cool that I feel cool when I use it. <laughs> this is so this is just me being honest. Is if you're saying yes to this, what do you say no to? It's right. so powerful because it's it's out of left field. And it and I find the question very often is a state changer because mm. they 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 just literally like what 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 was that you know um, and it's one that. where they intellectually get it and then I take them into the body you know yeah nice so yeah, those are the ones yeah yeah that's great so what's on your mind is the kickstart question that's the very first question in the book and it's trying to accelerate the conversation to somewhere interesting because often the curse with regular conversations at work, if you're in that in that space, or even in coaching conversations, which it, it feels like a long time before we get to the point. <laughs> or it's just a long time, not even to the point, but just in the general area where the point might be. <laughs> and what you're doing when you ask what's on your mind is you're immediately saying to the other person, tell me where we should go. Don't tell me everything. Don't tell me, you know, don't give me a, a, a report out of everything that's happened over the week. Let's get into the the interesting stuff. What are you excited about or worried about or kind of anxious about or just obsessed about at the moment? You know, what's on your mind? Where where should we start? Which is a variation on that. Where should we start? And what I find is, because a a lot of my work is helping managers and leaders coach in organizations, it's like it it ensures people can coach in 10 minutes or less rather than thinking a coaching session has to last for an hour or whatever it might be. The second question you mentioned was the, and what else, which is the third question in the book. And if you, if you take kind of one question away to start with, often it's, and what else? Because it has behind it this kind of core insight that their, their first answer is almost never their only answer. And it's rarely their best answer. So when you ask, and what else? You are saying, I'm just holding the space of curiosity open longer. So you can tell me the rest of the stuff. And they may not even know that there's other stuff there because <laughs> they think the first answer is the only answer. And what you're doing in part is taming your own advice monster because often what happens is people go, you know, what's on your mind? And somebody will say, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, perfect. I've got some awesome advice for you. So here we go. Let me let me show you how I'm about to add value to this conversation immediately. And it's a little too soon. Remember, for me, being coach-like is, can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? So, and what else is really helpful for that? One of the the challenge questions, the focus question is called, what's the real challenge here for you? Because often when people are describing a situation, they're describing the big picture, they're describing why that other person's terrible or why the situation is hard or whatever it might be. But when you go, but what's the real challenge here for you, Lee? And they were like, oh, well, it's blah, blah, blah. I'm like, great. What else is a challenge here for you? Mm. What else is a challenge here for you? And Leah's like, oh, my God, I didn't even realize I had that many challenges with this. But apparently there's something here. And then I go, so what's the real challenge here for you? And very quickly, we've just gone, got much closer to the real issue. Because when you can find the real issue, the solution to that feels much closer than you might think. Often you can help people figure out what the real issue is. That's all the work you need to do. Because when they go, the real issue is I'm scared of pushing back on my wife. Um, you're like, okay, now that's interesting. And they're like, okay, so I think I know what I need to do the work on now. 
it's not my, my, my wife's a nightmare or it's not that, you know, I don't know how to start the car to get groceries or whatever. It's, it's a, it gets deeper, quickly more personal. And then the, I love that you're picking the, I think it's the fifth question, the strategy question. If I'm going to say yes to this, what must I say no to? And I think you're right. It's a state changer because often, first of all, it's very easy to say yes in a way that has no teeth because there are no consequences to saying yes. You're just adding it to the status quo. And the status quo has a much bigger effect on you than you realize. (laughs) It'll pull you in a way that you don't even understand. And that's why so many of your yeses don't grip, don't get traction. When you say, if you're going to say yes to this, what must you say no to? What you're setting up is a conversation between present you and future you. Because the yes is you stating an ambition for future you. This is who I want to be. This is who I, what I want to do. This is what I'm striving to become. That won't happen unless you say no to some of the things about present you. You know, it's, it's, you know, we, we, we're talking about consciousness, but also, you know, that deep work you do around, uh, addiction and drinking and the like. You've got such a, a tussle here between these two different states, present you that might have an, you know, addiction issues of some sort and future you where you're hoping that you are beyond that and you're addiction free. And Lee, you'll tell me if I use inappropriate language because this is not a familiar space for me. So I'm, I'm, tell me if I'm like, oh, we don't say that or talk about it in that way, but I'll try and navigate it as best I can. And what you're saying, when you say, I'm going to say no to drinking, it's like, what must you, or if I, yeah, better way of saying it, if I'm going to say yes to not drinking, what must I say no to? That st- shows you the struggle. <laughs> that actually points to the hard thing because there's the, the the very act of just not drinking alcohol in that moment. But you're saying no to um, people's expectations of you. You're saying no to some of the people you spend time with. You're saying no to how you uh, what you shop for and how you arrange your life. You're saying no to some elements of your social life. You're saying no to some degree of ego or pride or status or whatever it might be that comes with all of that. And now you're going, right, if you're saying no to this, and you can come back to the questions, what's the real challenge here for you in saying no to hanging out with Bob <laughs> or something like that? And it's in the nose that you see the wrestle between present you and future you. And I imagine a lot of the work you're doing is in this in this tussle between the strong tug of the status quo, which is much pow- more powerful than you realize, and the aspiration of what future you is asking you to be or calling you to be. Yeah, it is pretty powerful. Like I, I've got this uh, new marketing guy working with me, Devin, from Canada, actually. Amazing, beautiful human being, really, really on point, really into the message and wanting to make a change in the world in this area because alcohol has impacted his life. And um, he said, what is what is our challenge? And I said, our challenge is we're in the business of helping people to overcome alcohol and to live more consciously, uh, to stop drinking alcohol, or we call it alcohol free as fuck, AFAF. And our challenge is people don't want that. Right. So even though they look in the mirror every morning with puke dripping from the moustache, they've just destroyed another section of their life, their children or their wife or husband's trust in them that night. That path of least resistance is safer to them 
than what they're currently saying no to. Yeah. Um, and so I'll often say to them, if you're saying yes to alcohol, what are you saying no to? Just to try to get them to think a little bit differently, you know, like um, to see some of that pain and some of that suffering. Um, yeah, prizes and punishments. Yeah. And, and, and also what you, the way you framed it was, it reminds me of the work that David Burns does on cognitive behavioral therapy, where he uses this concept called the magic button. And we, we utilized it in the Stripe method where you would say to somebody, what is it that you get? What is it of value to you to drink alcohol? Right. And they'll say, they'll say, well, nothing. That's why I'm here to get rid of it. And you're like, is that true? Like, let me help you here. And then yeah. they, they end up with a list of like 50 reasons why they love alcohol. And then really? we say, okay, we're going to press this magic button and all those 50 things disappear. Are you going to press the button? And they are like, no. Yeah, exactly. That's our problem. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Because that—that that is the, you know, the the connecting work for me around this is. Um, well, I dig into it in, into another book of mine. I got a sister book to the coaching habit called the Advice Trap, which is a kind of deeper dive into why behavior change is so hard. And I kind of create my own version of something called immunity to change. And I, I use my language around it. That, that there's kind of two levels of change. There's easy change and there's hard change. An easy change is easy enough, <laughs> you know, but yeah. like, it's like learning a new phone or learning how to set up a webinar thing. You're like, okay, I need to learn this. And you read a book or you watch a YouTube video or you listen to a podcast or you just buy something and read the instructions or you make it up and you move through the state of being consciously, unconsciously incompetent, which is when you don't even know that you suck, consciously incompetent, which is like, you know, you suck, <laughs> but you're learning consciously competent where you're like, I'm getting the hang of this. And then unconsciously competent when it's become kind of in the bones, become more of a habit. An easy change is additive. You're actually going, I'm, I'm adding this lump of knowledge onto who I am. It's a bit like adding an app to your phone. You're like, you know what? My phone is now just a little bit better for me, a little bit smarter, a little more competent because I've just added that new thing to it. That's easy change. Hard change is not additive. It's transformative. It's actually the question at the heart of hard changes that we've been talking about, which is like, what are you going to say yes to? And therefore, what are you going to say no to? It's not adding an app to your phone. It's reinstalling an operating system and going AF, AF. I'm going to guess for almost everybody is everybody who shows up to you is hard change. The people who have find it easy change have already figured it and they don't need to listen to a podcast or come and talk to you because they're already sorted. They're like, okay, I just sort this out. Oh, I figured it out. Done. Like my, my father-in-law was an alcoholic and he just went one day, I'm just going to stop drinking. And he just stopped drinking and lucky him for having that kind of wiring and that kind of relationship to that, that particular change. But for most people, it's hard change. And so the challenge is, with hard changes, we often apply easy change tactics to the hard change challenge. So you're like, well, maybe if I just learned a bit more about this, or if I studied more, or if I understood. And what you're pointing to in the work that you do and the magic button thing is you're getting people into the wrestle with hard change, which is like, you, you get all of this from drinking. How do you say no to all of that? What must you say yes to? What's the, what's the prizes and punishments? What's the cost? Who are you saying no to? All of that. That's the wrestle that you're pointing people to. The power of the magic button for me, because I, I actually went on a, 
I went on a live three three. I I, I basically I was um, coached by David Burns and Jill Levitt for three hours, <clears throat> and they turned it into three episodes of podcast. Right. So if anyone wants to listen to that, just uh, find the um, the Feeling Good podcast, Lee Davey, and you'll find those episodes. And it wasn't around drinking because I'd, I'd been AFAF for like a decade by the time I, I was being spoken to by Burns. But it was about how I spoke to my wife. And he he asked me what value I was getting out of talking to her in a very mean, unconscious way. And I had this huge list of value that I was getting out of treating her in this way. And he said, if I gave you a magic button, would you press it? And then all this would go. Uh, and I, I just, I broke down. Mm. And I said no, yeah. because because I there's a part of me that really really does want to hurt her when yeah. we fight, and 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 it doesn't want to let go. And he said, okay, no problem. We don't press the magic button. So you're saying yes to that behavior. What do you say no to? And it hit me. I was like, I'm saying no to my marriage. Right. And 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 that, that was huge. I'm getting goosebumps now. It's like a no, huge I'm moment. Yeah, it was a huge moment for me where I was like, okay, Lee, you got to sort your shit out, man. Like you're gonna lose, you're gonna lose your second wife, right? Like, and and I just want to segue that into the hard change, easy change, because this is really important. This is this is why strive change from being come here and we will help you become AFAF to come here will help you be AFF and live a self led life was because for me the easy change was stopping drinking. So for me, it was easy for me to stop drinking. It was very hard for me to speak to my wife and my children and people I loved with respect and mm. dignity and, and stay in integrity. So then I realized, wow, if I have this problem and I'm AFAF and think that the sun shines out of my ass, there's going to be so many people who stop drinking and think, yeah, we just solved every problem, but you haven't because you, the drinking has got nothing to do with your issues. You're drinking right. to numb the fact that you've got a lot of issues you don't even know about, right? Yeah, we're all works in progress. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. We've all got we've all got stuff that we've mastered and you know you celebrate that because you know that there's various things that you have worked on and figured out and overcome and rewired yourself to and then you're like okay so what's the next I the language I use is what's my best guess at the next thing I've got to figure out. <laughs> yeah. I don't always know. But I don't want to be paralyzed into to not doing something because I'm like, oh, I don't know exactly if that's it. I'm like, what's my best guess? And then there's, and of course, what's interesting, Lee, is that often it's the same basic pattern that's repeating, just in a different context with different people in a more in a more subtle way because you're getting yep. slightly better at the more obvious stuff, and you're like, oh, okay. So so now here's how I get passive aggressive with my wife. It's much more nuanced. It's much more subtle. It's just as prevalent and ubiquitous and and unuseful. So now, what, what's the work I need to do? Yeah, it's like um, Preston Smiles, one of my mentors. He always says, uh, "The way you do one thing is the way you do everything." Right? It's yeah, like once is a pattern I've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah like um, the context, how you show up in your as a like. It's not like how do I want to speak to my wife. It's like, how do I want to speak to Michael? How do I want to speak to, like, with strangers? I've never met you before until today. But yeah. my con- con- context of how I want to live my life is I, I want to speak to you from a place of compassion, connectiveness, love, curiosity, groundedness. Like, I don't want to be in the drama triangle with you or anybody. But I, but I, but I recognize that I will be in there a lot, and that's okay. And I just need to learn how to navigate my way out of it. No? Okay. 
So you got this great new book coming out, How to Work with Almost Anyone in Brackets. <laughs> Tell exactly. us about it. Sure. So, you know, the work I do is I write for and I teach in the working world, you know, so managers and leaders and that kind of organizational life. But I always am trying to write evergreen books that are useful for anybody who's interacting with human beings. So the coaching habit kind of written for managers, but if you interact with wives, kids, <laughs> humans. If you're human. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I think this can help. So can we, just, can we just stop there though? Just, just in case we haven't made this point clear. The reason that I got Michael on is not just to appease, not just to appease the coaching element of our community. The reason I got Michael on is these questions work with your children, with your wife, with the lollipop man, with the doctor. This is this is communication and, and how to communicate effectively to get out of that drama triangle. It's so important to just impress that point. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I'm like I. There are lots of coaches in the world, and I'm sure there's part coach people who are self-identified identify as coaches listening to this now, but I'm trying to make everybody more coach-like. So yeah. that's why that that definition is so behavior-based. It's like, can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you mm -hmm. rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? That's for everybody. You don't have to be a coach to, to think that that might be useful. So the premise for this new book is our working relationships have such a significant impact on our success and our happiness but so often we leave those relationships to chance. So what if we could more actively build what I'm calling the best possible relationship, relationships that are safe and vital and repairable? And my best possible relationship, I'm not saying everything has to be kind of, you know, unicorn farts and, you know, glitter dust. I'm saying when you look at your relationships, they're probably on a bell curve and you've got some amazing ones up one end and you've got some pretty not amazing ones down the other end and most of them are somewhere in the middle but every working relationship can be better so how do you make the the really tough ones bearable and better and good enough and how do you keep the really brilliant ones brilliant for longer and how do you add some magic to the ones that are in the middle so that they're safe and vital and repairable and then in the book there are five questions to say here's well, actually the, the big idea is this have a conversation about how you want to work together before you dive into the nitty gritty of what you're working on. So, you know, right at the start of this conversation, you're saying with your wife, where she's like, you're too much right now. <laughs> I need that space. But there's a conversation that can be had where you're like, where you go, look, here's what I've learned. I can be too much at times. <laughs> here's what's really helpful for me. And, and I'm not always conscious of it because I'm being too much. So I'm kind of swept up in in the moment and the enthusiasm and the kind of the thing of the moment, here's what's really helpful for me, which is to have these words or this way of managing that. So I know that you know that I know that you know that I'm being too too much at the moment. And we can manage that in a way that moves it away from conflict and more towards here's how we dance with each other and, and with a little more elegance. I like that. I like that so much. It's like I interviewed um Tim Billick on the on here, and she um, her niche is coaching women to learn to harness the power of the menstrual cycle, right? Mm. And she was saying to me, <clears throat> "You have no idea, Lee, like the power of the knowledge here. Like if you could figure out your wife's menstrual cycle, you would know when she's more likely to want to be sexual and intimate." 
You will yep. know when she just wants you to get the hell out of her way. You'll know when she needs like a lot of support and she wants you to take the kids to school and make them pack lunches. And if you can do all those things without her even telling you because you you know her cycle, then wow, you're going to be so amazing. And at the same time, you can also don't have to be such a put the cape on. You could just have that conversation and, and understand because everybody's going to be very different. What happens when you're having your period? Like, talk to me yeah. about it. Um, is there a commonality to it? Um, how yeah. do I show up and, and ruin things for you? Um, so so I, I love you saying that. The first two questions, there are five questions that kind of you can use to structure this keystone conversation, this conversation about how do we be together before we jump into the what of the work. And the first question is, what's your best? When do you shine? When do you flow? So it's not what are you good at, it's not what are your values, and it's not what are your strengths. It's like when you're at your best, what what kind mm. of lights you up? So you've got that internal flow and an external shine. And that's really helpful to hear because, you know, for instance, one of the things that is clear with my wife and I is that I'm at my best when I'm creating. She's at her best when she is in a support role. She's got no interest in being in a spotlight. I'm, I'm get out of the way. I want to be in the spotlight. So we're like, that's really helpful for us to understand. Yeah. But the second question is called the steady question. And it's what are your practices and preferences? And in the work context, it's often, you know, it's just like, what are the logistics and the mechanics of how you do get stuff done? So we can figure out where we match and where we don't match. And we can kind of negotiate around that, you know, morning person, evening person. I like meetings. I don't like meetings. Slack email, you know, it's that kind of level of conversation. But it feels to me that a conversation about uh, a menstrual cycle could fit into that second question, which is like, look, here, here's my cycle. Here's how I show up. You know, on the on and this part of my cycle. Because I, I had a conversation with a woman about this just the other day, and she's like, in certain parts of the cycle, I am better at the big thinking. In other parts of the cycle, I'm better at the kind of the details. In other parts of the cycle, I'm better at lying down and not doing very much at all. And, uh, you know, going, okay, so I'll, I'll, I, I know that now. <laughs> that's helpful for me to manage around. I, that second question, I, I was once in Portland staying at Liza's friend's house. She had a farm and she come down in the morning and I said, good morning. And she ignored me. And then I started to continue talking to her. She just walked into the kitchen, made a coffee. And she came out and she sat down and she said, Lee, I don't talk in the mornings and I, and my inner child was triggered and I was like, how rude. So it fitted into my worldview, but that's rude. That's not how you're supposed to right. discuss. And then I took it to my wife, like in an echo chambery kind of way, like, Oh my God, you never guess what, what she just said. And she's like, yeah, that's what she's like. What's wrong with that? Yeah. And it was like, Oh, there's another worldview here that I'm not aware of that. So, you know, Circ pre circumventing that is like you ask that question exactly. and then and you don't helpful, get just triggered. Yeah. How helpful for her to say, I don't speak in the moment moment and to be to understand that that's her negotiating. Here's how you get the best of me, not mm. here's how yes. I'm being rude to you. Yeah. You're like, great. I won't talk to you in the morning set. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then me thinking, wow, she, she's so vulnerable and strong to say that where she's just right. like, no, no. I'm just, I got a boundary. And I'm just, so I, that was like a big moment for me, Michael, because I was like, boundaries, okay. What exactly. are these things? And, and this, and so often we can, we can make these conversations, we can overinflate them. They can feel 
like they have to be more serious and bigger and kind of like heavier mm. than sometimes they need to be. Like sometimes yeah. it can be like, okay, here's the first thing you need to know. I have two coffees before nine o'clock. At about 9.30, I start becoming conscious. Like that's true with my brother. My brother is like, he's got, he's got no ramp up in the morning at all. Like he's, he's ridiculous. He's hopeless. Whereas I'm, I'm instantly awake and instantly on when I wake up in the morning. So, you know, we weren't able to do this when we were growing up as kids, but there was a constant source of imbalance between us growing up because I'm a morning person and he's a night person. So he'd keep me awake all night when we shared a bedroom and then I'd wake him up in the morning. It was a disaster. We actually had to end up having separate bedrooms just because our, our cycles were so different in terms of how we work together. It's so funny you mentioned that because I... Uh... I was interviewing a high stakes poker player the other day for a documentary that I'm involved in and creating. And I was um, talking to him and asking him a question around like the different types of communicators. Like some people you see at a poker table are really stoic and don't say anything. Some are like really gifted a gab and blabbering on. And I was interested in his opinion, like in different stages of the tournament when this happens, what's going on. And he just said to me, it's coffee. That's all, that's all he said. Simple coffee. No real deep answer. Yeah, yeah. Coffee, you'll hear him talking. No coffee, you'll just hear him shutting up, focusing on the poker. Like, oh, yeah, really, funny. really interesting. Um, Michael, it's been a delight. Uh, you folks listening out there, you'll be saying, What are those other three? What are those other three questions? Well, <laughs> you can wait. You can wait for another seven. No, when's the book? Is it the 27th of June or July? 27th of June. So a week from today. Yeah, we're recording today. it. Yeah. So a week today, um, go out and buy how to work with almost anyone. And when you've when you've done that, um, please, please, please go down the Michael Stania rabbit hole because um, this man has the ability to really. I'm going to put this. He has the ability to change your change your life because for a lot of people, close relationships like your husband, your wife, your kids, your mom, your dad. Those are the ones where you show up in your worst because you trust that they won't leave you. You love them that much that you will show them their horrific side and they won't leave you. But but sometimes they do, and sometimes you do irrevocable damage as much as you love yourself. And this guy helps you. It gives you like a North Star and a, and a guide and a framework. And for rational, logical people like me who are learning to get more and more in the body, these questions really help with that. So, Michael continue the good work i uh, really really um really proud and really grateful to have met you today and to share this airspace with you for an hour um how can I people get a nice acknowledgement thank you lee no worries how can people find you sure so if either of those two books you've been talking about are interesting to you that they each have their own book page and their free downloads and bits and resources you can get so the coachinghabit.com or bestpossiblerelationship.com but more generally, my website is mbs.works. mbs.works, and that's a gateway to social media and downloads and resources and all sorts of stuff. Awesome. And uh, until next week, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Just a few thank yous. First of all, I want to thank uh, you guys and girls for listening to this podcast and being supporters of it. Many people stop drinking alcohol just by listening to this podcast. I get a lot of people reaching out to me, thanking me for that, right? So give this to somebody as a gift today or rate and review the podcast. If you can rate and review the podcast on your local podcast player and tell somebody about it, you could change somebody's life today, okay? So thank you for listening and thank you in advice in advance for that piece of service. Also, I want to thank our producer, Stan. Um, 
Stan is still currently in the Ukraine fighting the war and producing our podcast while his family is somewhere else in the world right now, okay, apart from him. So everybody send out your prayers and your love. Stan, we love you. Thank you very much for everything you do here. For you out there, if you are starting to think about, contemplate, uh, reflect on your relationship with alcohol, you do not have to do this alone. Yes, you drink alone, but you don't have to stop alone, okay? And if alcohol is not your thing, but you are starting to feel that you actually are living a parts-led life, the ego is getting in the way too much, so you're not happy with the way life is going, then reach out to us at thestrivemethod at gmail.com. Just say, Lee, and just tell me what is on your mind, and we'll start to have that conversation. Strive community is a beautiful place where you can start to feel seen, heard, and matter. It's where you can get community, and it's where you can start practicing what we call the eight C's of self, our core values, right? Or creativity, curiosity, uh, connection, compassion, courage. Uh, I can't remember the rest of them, but there's eight of them, right? And we have our quest structure. So we have assignments, and they're really interesting, exciting. At the end of them, we say to you, come on do this quest, right? Get involved in this challenge. Um, and strivers are really finding it exciting and they're working their challenges in these areas that are going to increase the amount of time they spend in self-energy in a state of flow. And that is has amazing repercussions for the relationship you grow with yourself and for how you how you reach out to others in their life, like how you parent, how you um, are as a child to your, not child, but a son or a daughter, how you are in your relationship with the person you share your bed with and how you behave with your employees, right? So reach out to me at strivemethod at gmail.com if you want to learn more. Okay, much love, everybody.